such power, it's amazing. Hello, uh, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest in our very special series of live podcast recordings. We don't broadcast these things, we just record them. If we broadcast them, people would be killed. Um, uh, we are here at the London Podcast Festival. It is a festival of podcasts in, yes, London, and we are closing the Saturday night, which makes us effectively, as far as I can tell, the Foo Fighters at Glastonbury <laughs> on the pyramid stage. More likely, we are John De Silva on Bez's flying bus, but you can't have everything. Uh, but you know, like a music festival, like the very best bands, and like sexual misadventures in a lay-by of the M62, <laughs> It's best to do it with three other people. Um, and this week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. And since we're at the London Podcast Festival, I might as well big up their favorite podcasts, which are all real. They're all real podcasts that I haven't made up. Uh, first up, please welcome our geek queen, a lady who loves to relax and kick back to the soothing strains of Sam and Dean's washboard tasty abs, a shirtless supernatural podcast. Will you please welcome... We skip the shirtless joke. And I said no. Yeah. <laughs> but I did change it. I did change it. You did change it. It, I, it was a better yeah, shirtless yeah. joke. Yeah, Is it right. a better shirtless well, joke? I prefer the first one. Okay. But that'll be in next week's podcast. Uh, <laughs> next up is our quiet poddle, a man who loves to listen to the Beatles Conspiracy Podcast, which is about all the major Beatles conspiracies. You know, the ones like Paul is dead, Ringo can sing, and. <laughs> George Harrison has been reincarnated, but this one's true. He's been reincarnated as John Nugent! Hello. <laughs> How are you? You alright? Yeah, good. Wow. Good, good, good. Yeah, this is strange, isn't it? Yeah, it is weird. It's very weird. Uh, last but not least, is our art house guru, a man whose favorite podcast is really weirdly black and white <laughs> and subtitled. Um, you please welcome, for the very last time on a live podcast, Phil Dissemblian! Phil, Phil, Phil. Hi, Chris. Phil Cat, Phil Cat, Phil Cat. What? Why is this your last live podcast? Um, because I'm not going to be working for Empire anymore. <gasps> no, God! Audible gas. Sit down, Chris. It's going to be all right. Chris. <laughs> Were you trying to drop the mic? I was trying to drop the mic. Really I carefully. Realized, I realised it wasn't my mic, so <laughs> I should probably treat it with some respect. Yes, um, Phil. Phil is leaving. Yes, us. I'm going to go and set up my own Bellatar orientated magazine. <laughs> Targov, it's going to yeah. be called. It's going to be um, No, I'm leaving, sadly. Yeah. yeah you weren't going to do this. For, we're, like, we're, he's like, not dying. No, 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 no we're going he's, to do something He's going to, week. yeah. He's no, I'm not, like, I don't want it. my moment. I'm just, I've, it's emotional. Yeah, it is emotional. You know? I'm, I'm emotional. I'm getting emotional here. Don't this, be emotional. This, this is a huge moment for me. Uh, finally, I can get the podcast back. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's very, very sad. We were going to give Phil a proper send-off, but, uh, you know, I wanted you guys to be the 455th to know that Phil is leaving. Uh, and he's going to a kick-ass place. 
Uh, where are you, where, uh, can we say where you're going? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Yeah, I'm going to work for Time Out. There you go. There you go. It's Don't not boo. just... <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go well, did it? That's right, right again. That's the beauty of the live podcast. We can say it again. So, um, Yes. So, Phil, where are you going? If I'm not going to say now. <laughs> it's, it's Is that one mean that person? I'm going to time out uh, to be... They're still booing. There was more your applause. Anyway, I'm going to be the film editor at Time Out, but uh, yeah, I mean, I am, anyway, time is, time is moving on, but yeah, obviously I'm very sad to not be doing any more podcasts after tonight. Yeah, yeah it's very, very sad, but you will be on next week's podcast, we hope. I we can't. hope to do a big fairly well, and we'll dance around a maypole, and do all the usual things, burn you in a wicker man, all the things <laughs> that we do to people when they betray us <laughs> and leave. Can I just ask one last thing, Phil, real quick before we get on to the actual yeah. podcast proper? Was it my Danny Boyle impression that sent you over the edge? Yes. Yeah. Let me okay. speak for yeah, a second. Close. You guys, yeah, just really, really quickly, because I know this is... Do you want to see a demonstration of my Danny no. Boyle impression with Phil? Okay. Yeah. So, what would happen would be... No. Phil and I, Phil and I share a bank of desks, okay? And now Phil would be working away, and then Danny Boyle would appear. And this is my Danny Boyle impression. He just <laughs> he appears behind people. And he's really enthusiastic. I love it, Phil. You're great. You're a great guy, Phil. I really love it when you like love black and white movies. It's great. And Phil, for some reason, gets really discomfortable. As your lawyer, Chris, <laughs> I'd just like to make clear that that in no way resembles Danny Boyle's behaviour or voice Danny or Boyle, anything, really. He, he's really enthusiastic. He loves being He is enthusiastic. He's not like a creepy person. No, of course not. I don't think I, that came across at all in my impression. <laughs> um, anyways, just in case anyone news. misread it. Movie news, yes. Let's talk about movie news. Okay, has there been any movie news? Say something here. J.J. Abrams directing Star Wars Episode Nine. Is that important? Do people mm. want to talk not. about that? J.J. Abrams is directing Star Wars Episode Nine. Hooray! Okay, so let's about 50-50, I'd say. J.J. Abrams is going to time out. So, yeah, I mean, look, uh, the Star Wars franchise over the last couple of years has obviously had quite a lot of directorial mishaps, and therefore they have gone for what I think we can all agree is a fairly safe pair of hands. Somebody who, uh, uh, you know, I know from interviewing him and trying to talk about Star Trek, he only wants to talk about Star Wars when, to- <laughs> when selling a Star Trek movie. So I feel like, you know, that is very much where his heart lies. That is what he wants to be doing with his life. And, uh, and he'll probably do a good job, I would have thought. Yes, right? safe pair of hands. And of course, it's been, it's been pushed back, hasn't it? It has been pushed back. December 20th, 2019. As accurately predicted on last week's podcast. But I get so many other things wrong. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just happy to get that one right. And I didn't say the, the, the date, but I did say it'd be pushed back because you've got to give him time, haven't you? You've got to give him time to have a run-up. He's going to overhaul the script as well. Mm. Uh, so you know, he's what got are, what Chris Terrio, is that right? Chris yep. Terrio, yeah, who I'm, wrote Justice League. Yes. Now, which we haven't seen, haven't seen it and yet. we don't know how good it is. We've seen Argo, which is very good. Yeah. So. Which we haven't seen. Which we have seen. Which we have seen. 
<laughs> Always getting those two mixed I up. I know, yeah. so easy. Um, you know, it's but, like you that know. famous phrase, Justice League, go fuck yourself. No, it's the... <laughs> Argo fuck There you Okay, go. there we go, that's the one. Um, so, Chris Terrio, I think he's a good writer. Ben, ben Affleck clearly trusts him, brought him on to Dawn of Justice, Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice, and, uh, and Justice League, of course. And I don't think you can judge a big-name screenwriter on their contributions to a big blockbuster, because there's probably a dozen people who've had their footprints on the script in, in, that, in that time. Um, I think he'll do a decent job with Star Wars. As, as I've said in the past, I'm I, not a huge... Force Awakens fan, but... But also, Force Awakens had a particular job to do. It, it had did. to relaunch Star Wars and regain our trust after the prequels. And I think whatever else it did, it did both of those things pretty darn well. So, you know, now this could be his kind of gloves-off Star Wars movie, yeah. which could be an amazing thing. Yeah, I would hope that he comes to it with a kind of, this is what I want to do, and I will brook no interference. Indeed so. Uh, John, Phil, what do, you, what do you make of this momentous news? Oh. It, it, it does sound like they're, they're sort of wiping the slate clean with this one, because they, in, in the press release, there was no mention of uh, Trevorrow's scripts, or I think it was, was it Jack Thorne mm. who, was, who was contributing yeah, to yeah, that yeah. as well? Yeah. That sounds like that's not happening anymore. So, so they're starting afresh, and I guess, yeah, it is a safe pair of hands. And it, it's something quite nice about him returning to the sort of sequel trilogy that he started, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, so, thumbs up. Everyone, thumbs up. Everyone, everyone happy? Everyone happy with that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, moderate, moderate happiness. All right. Talk to me afterwards. It's fine. We'll, dis- we'll discuss it in depth. That wasn't a threat, by the way. I'm not. It sounds like <laughs> Look at the state of me, for God's sake. I couldn't fight any of you. Or could I? Uh, no. All right, so uh, next up, this is news that uh, broke last night. Thank, this is really good, because we're doing podcasts on Saturday night, and usually Hollywood just goes to town with movie news once the podcast goes up on a Friday afternoon, or let's be honest, Friday evening, Friday night, closer to midnight probably. Um, and they just go nuts, and they did go nuts with yeah. two big pieces of movie news last night. One that really, really got me excited, and it was the news that the next Halloween movie, which we knew wasn't really a reboot. We knew it was going to be a sequel of sorts. Danny McBride and David Gordon Green are attached. Uh, David Gordon Green's going to direct. Danny McBride's going to uh, write it with David Gordon Green. They're huge fans of the original John Carpenter movie, as am I. And last night, Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode herself, uh, tweeted a picture of herself dressed as Laurie Strode with Michael Myers behind her going, groovy baby, and, um, and it's going to be a sequel this Halloween is going to be a sequel of sorts to, we think, certainly the first two Halloween movies. And I, I'm going to admit I completely lost my shit. Uh, I'm very, very excited about this. Um, Halloween eight, uh, H2O, Halloween, H, uh, Halloween H20, or H2O, however you want to call it, is a really good Halloween movie. I really like But it, it was followed by the worst Halloween movie, Halloween Resurrection, in which Laurie uh, finally lost her battle with Michael Myers and his big kitchen knife. And I'm glad that that is being retconned out of existence. <laughs> It no longer exists. Yeah, so this is good. I mean, it's going to be next Halloween's big horror movie, I guess, October 19th next year. Yeah. Um, John Carter, obviously, or Carpenter is obviously, <laughs> sorry. John, John Carpenter We just had Mark, Mark Strong, it's very confusing. Uh, John Carpenter, obviously, executive producing uh, and creatively consulting. And we talked to Danny Boyle when he was in town for Alien Covenant, and he seemed, he certainly said all the right things and expressed all the right enthusiasms for the original and its tone and the need to do it justice. So... I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. 
Verging yeah. on yeah. like just optimistic without the caution. <laughs> just throwing <laughs> caution to the wind. They've, they've said this will be the last Halloween movie, though. I mean, sure. Is anyone buying that? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, Friday the 13th had no. the final chapter and then it had like 10 more movies. You yeah. Know, so. yeah. It's true, but then they'll probably reboot it at some point, but just not with Jamie Lee Curtis. But yeah. there's something yeah. about bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back and ignoring the fact that you know her character's died, <laughs> <laughs> and Michael, well, obviously Michael Myers has died quite a lot of times. Is really really cool. I do hope they don't retcon H2O out of existence. I hope that they you know they, they somehow find a way to acknowledge that movie as well, which ended pretty definitively. Does anyone remember it? It Don't ended pretty him. definitively for um, Michael Myers himself. Mm. So they'll uh, have to somehow get around that. But I'm just, I'm hugely excited. You know, John Carpenter, let's, be, let's not forget John Carpenter was executive producer on the remake of The Fog. So look how that turned out. But I'm hopeful about this. It's Blumhouse. Those guys know what they're doing. It's specifically one guy, Jason Blum, knows what he's doing. He's really, really great. You know, this year's Split and Get Out alone. Um, I'm very, very excited. I cannot wait. I hope I hope uh, Laurie wins, and I hope uh, I'll be in really intrigued to see as well whether they do something with Doctor Loomis, whether they, I don't know how you recast Donald Pleasance. He'd be about 120 now, that hmm. character, I guess. So maybe yeah, not. Probably not. Um, any other things that happened last night? Um, yes. Okay. So Claire Foy. Yeah. Mm. Big news for Claire Foy. Very much so. She's gone from playing Her Majesty the Queen um, to playing the girl with the dragon tattoo who plays with fire and <laughs> puts bits of herself in the hornet's nest. Um, uh, in fact, in, in this case, she's the girl in The Spider's Web, which is the fourth book in the Millennium Trilogy, <laughs> <laughs> which was written by a different author. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so th this is bringing Elizabeth Salander back to the big screen. And uh, I think it's quite cool casting, potentially. I think it gives her a chance to do something extremely different from the sort of period pieces and rather genteel stuff she's been doing of late. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's going to the London Film Festival or anyone who isn't actually will see have the chance to see her next month in Breathe, mm. which is Andy Serkis's film. Spoiler, it's pretty darn good. Uh, and, uh, and, but this is, this is a completely different kind of feel for her and I'm, I'm quite excited about it. I'm, I'm sounding just excited about everything. I mean, I'm yeah. just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm this is like, good I'm news. looking this on is, the side. This, yeah. this is good, Very exciting. good shit. I just, yeah, I, just, I don't know. For some reason, I was remembering when, the, when they were trying to cast the first one. Oh, yeah. Um, we did that feature on the website about who Finches should look at for that part. And I was think one of the outsiders was the Swedish chef. <laughs> 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 apparently he got back to him and he, he thought it was really funny. But it hasn't happened, so that's disappointing. Oh, that's a shame. Um, um, but I think she'll be great. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what she'll look like, because you've really seen her in kind of the polar opposite yeah. sort of worlds up to this point. She's brilliant in Breathe, for instance. Yeah, she I is, love her in The Crown. Do you know so. what's interesting as well? This is obviously being directed by Feli Alvarez, who directed the film Don't Breathe. And she's in the film Breathe. So I'm wondering how they're going to get along on set with mm. that behind them. <laughs> Probably get <laughs> <laughs> Can breathe, they come to some breathe. kind of agreement? I don't know. Uh, yes, thumbs up to Claire Foy as Liz Besselander. Yeah. The fifth book in the trilogy, I noticed this coming out today, I saw it too bad. Yes. Uh, it's got the stupidest title. Do you know what it is? Um, the Girl Who... The Girl Who, yeah, we're doing, yeah. <laughs> we're doing well. I forget. The girl who takes an eye for an eye. Oh, yeah, she does. But that's actually, I mean, that's a better description of her in some ways than... But it's just long and unwieldy. I don't... Yeah, I mean... Anyway, she's not the true hero of those books. The overweight journalist is, and... Uh, <laughs> for some reason, I always identify with him. It's kind of weird. So Although he yeah. is good at sex. 
there was Wonder Woman news uh, yeah. this week, which John was reminding me about earlier. Yes. So uh, Patty Jenkins, who directed the first Wonder Woman movie, uh, she's been in negotiations to direct the second Wonder Woman movie, and I believe, if reports are be believed, then she has signed on the dotted line. This makes her, this is a historic moment, this makes her the best paid female filmmaker in history. Uh, with the <laughs> I just reenacted Warner's negotiation method. More Benjamins! Throwing money at her. So apparently $8 million she'll get paid to write, direct and produce. Wow. And fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. She did a great job in the first film. Um, we amen. look forward to the second one. Uh, so yeah, good, yeah, we do, good news we do. Yeah, that's very good. And uh, that's going to come out at the moment a week before episode nine. So do we think? <laughs> do we think somebody might blink? I think someone might blink, and I think it, it might be Wonder Woman. But you, you, you never know in this game, right? Even even just another week will probably do it. They, they, they might pull it up a week and say that they're you know feeling strong. Yeah, but we're happy. They should. She's super strong. We're happy. We're happy. For mm-hmm. that. Do you guys have any other bits of movie do news? Do any of you guys or, know or, anything about the How story? we exhausted the movie news? Well, I think we're done. We're done. News. We saw the new. Hellboy. Did we this? did. We did. Yeah. New Hellboy, a lot like the old Hellboy. <laughs> like, if I told you that was a, a newly discovered picture of Ron Perlman, yeah. you'd kind of believe me, wouldn't you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I kind of would. I kind of would. So this is David Harbour uh, in Hellboy, the name of which I can never remember. It's the Blood, Blood Queen. Queen. The Blood Queen. Hellboy, the Blood Queen. And, uh, yeah, he, he's got longer hair than the Ron Perlman iteration, he's got a I, I thought. Shade of red. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the way the shade of red in Liverpool's home kit went from kind of bright red last season to kind of darker red. I think I've lost people here. Uh, They're leaving the building. This season. But yeah, it's, like, it's kind of like that. But I'm, I'm excited about that film, and, um, uh, but I'm happy. What do you guys think? Did you think that that, that was a, a good look for Hellboy? Red with a big red hand? Yeah, everyone's good. Everyone's Daniel Day Kim. Daniel Day Kim, yes. Yes, they've recast Ed Scrine's role. Yes. With Daniel Day Kim, which That's seems right. like a mm. solid, yeah. solid decision to me. Took them a while to get it right, but they got yeah, there in the know. end. Um, and uh, and we, we will we will finish off the news part, but again, really, really sad bit of news hit last night uh, that the great, truly great Harry Dean Stanton uh, died at the age of 91. Um, most recently seen on small screens in uh, Twin Peaks, The Return. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a way to go out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but just a, an amazing, amazing actor. Uh, naturally, your, your mind goes towards films like Alien, uh, where he was Brett, the second member of the, the crew of the Nostromo to die. Uh, and, of course, Repo Man, and mm-hmm. popped up in Escape from New York, and... Paris, Texas, and John Carpenter's Christine, and he was just someone who brought this really ruffled, rumpled authenticity, I think, to everything that he did. He was just an actor. I mean, I watched last night a film that I <laughs> really love. It's a guilty pleasure, Red Dawn. And he, <laughs> he has a scene in that. It is schlock of the highest order, where his sons, Patrick uh, Swayze and Charlie Sheen, Come, but before he was Charlie Sheen, so it was like it was like this promising young actor, not this car crash. Um, come to see him; he's in an internment camp because the Russians have taken over America. And if go and check the scene out. It's on Ann Bilson, the great Ann Bilson, tweeted about the scene. You can go and check it out. It's on YouTube. It is a masterclass in acting in what is a really schlocky film. In about two and a half minutes, he conveys. Horror at his son's situation, horror at his, situ- his situation, dismay, and then anger, and then of course it ends with the classic, Boys, offend me! 
line, which is just amazing. It is. Um, the, uh, Roger Ebert obviously had the Stanton Walsh rule. Mm. No film featuring either Harry Dean Stanton or M. Emmett Walsh in a supporting role would be altogether <laughs> bad, uh, which might be a surprise to anyone who's seen the Care Bears movie. But, <laughs> but six gen- times. <laughs> Genuinely six times. That was like a huge event growing up. Like That was massive <laughs> yeah, for me. Um, but no, he's amazing. He had a tiny role in Cool Hand Luke, which I didn't actually remember until I read the obituaries. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And of course, a, a tiny role in one that's very close to our hearts, Chris. Uh, Avengers Assemble. Oh, right, Avengers Assemble. And yeah. Two Lane Blackout, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he turns up. I, I always get the feeling that his cameo in Avengers, the Avengers, none of sure. Avengers Assemble nonsense, uh, is, was, a, was some kind of additional photography thing. Oh, so great, I just, But it's, it's really, really cool, because you're watching this movie, and suddenly Bruce Banner has got his... <laughs> shirt off and he's talking to the security guard and Joss Whedon clearly didn't want to just get an actor, a day player to come in and do the security guard, he got Harry Dean motherfucking Stanton and you're just you're one, two hours into Avengers and suddenly Harry Dean Stanton turns up and it's amazing. It's Son, amazing. you got a condition <laughs> You got a condition He worked There's obviously a- with David Lynch a lot yes. and I love it uh, he has the, the smallest part at the end of Straight Story, yeah. which is a scene I really love when mm. Richard Farnsworth who obviously also passed away turns up on his lawnmower and mm. there's Harry Dean on his... And they kind of have this fraternal kind of, you know, moment of forgiveness that hopefully one day Nick and I will emulate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's lovely. And they kind of, it ends with the, sh- the, the, the shot, the, the camera sort of panning up to the stars, which I think is kind of a nice way of remembering yeah. both of them. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's so a lovely who, note. Who's on the lawnmower in that moment between you and Nick? <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> He turns up and on a flymo outside Time Out Towers. And... <laughs> on Shaftesbury Avenue. Yeah. Terrifying thought. John, do you have a favourite Harry Dean Stanton moment or a film? I, I think his work in Alien is really underrated. Mm. I think because yeah. he's he is he's that perfect salt of the earth guy. I, I really just I I like him as a person. I, everything I've seen from him off screen has been really cool. Yeah. Um, there's a great few set of photos of him showing up at the Avengers premiere. Uh, and he's just like in these bedraggled clothes and he's got a fag hanging out of his mouth and he, <laughs> and he doesn't give a shit and there's a, there's a podcast he was a guest on a podcast and it was on Twitter today where yeah. uh, somebody asked him because uh, he was the dad in Pretty in Pink <laughs> yes, yeah. and they, they asked him uh, which, <laughs> which, which, uh, who Molly Ringwald should have ended up with and he was just like I don't give a fuck he's <laughs> <laughs> just a legend <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how he felt about Jatari. <laughs> but yeah, he was an amazing, amazing actor. And uh, 91 is a heck of an innings. Uh, so the late, great Harry Dean Stanton, who died this week. Time now for tonight's guests. Uh, they are an actor and director duo. I think our version of Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi or John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Uh, they've been making films together now for... About a decade, uh, the actor notched up two memorable roles as a bad guy in two little films called Stardust and Kick-Ass before he switched tack to play the heroic Merlin in Kingsman, The Secret Service. Now that film's sequel, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, is upon us and ready to explode all your heads in a technicolor cloud of smoke. So will you please go nuts for two of our favorite people, the star and the director of Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Mark Strong and Matthew Fong!
very cool. Yeah, we got a we got a bottle of, of Statesman uh, whiskey. Not bad. This, this plays a role in the film, but I'll say no more. But there's all a back to mine. tradition that but you got to drink it all. <laughs> Howdy did it. We well, want to see whether. Yeah. No, 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 no. I've, I've, I'm going to be drinking uh, sanctioned water from my London Podcast Festival mug. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, but perhaps later we shall see. Do you not have an Irish accent? Hey, yeah, I do. Oh. <laughs> Is that um, bourbon or whiskey? That's bourbon. Bourbon, there okay. you go. Okay, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Should we, should we start again? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just, you know, I like to be exact about things. <laughs> um, Matthew, I have to uh, mention the fact that you have an amazing, I mean, you, you have hurt your foot. That's very yeah. sad, tragic, obviously, but you have an amazing boot. Did anyone see the boot when Matthew came out? Do you want to show it? Not that you're a performing monkey, but <laughs> would you like to show it to the people? I am. <laughs> then uh, dance for me, dance monkey. Dance, monkey, dance. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Make the man hobble. A Kingsman Ugg, everybody. A Kingsman Ugg boot, but just one of them. <laughs> That's Do you the have intriguing the, bit. Is that the only one in existence? Uh, yes. Amazing. <laughs> and is it literally just an Ugg book that you There's have stuck? an Ugg with a sticker on it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. It's yes. a classy touch. I like yeah. it. I like it. Uh, is your leg okay? Are you getting better? Uh, no. It really hurts. <laughs> it really does hurt. Uh, it's, uh, I broke two toes, and uh, they've been, it's, yeah, for 10 days it's been bleeding because I have to keep doing this. So, uh, but hopefully, I'll be all right. All right, well, okay. <laughs> 15 <Yeah>. minutes. <laughs> 15 minutes, we'll have you out of here. It's fine. Mark, you okay? You okay? Everything? everything yeah, fine, yeah. Everything functioning well? <laughs> Why? Have you got any plans? <laughs> No, I'm good, I'm good. What, what I have I heard? I your chances. <laughs> Precisely. Um, you guys have obviously worked together now for a long, long time. Do you remember the first time you met going back? Is it, was it a decade ago? Was it in Stardust or was it before that? I remember. Yeah, so do I. No, he doesn't. No, it was... <laughs> no, I remember I was on holiday with my family. I kept getting calls from uh, Dexter... And, right. uh, and Fleming and people saying, um, Matt, Matt's circling around, he, wants, he might be interested in you for his new movie. And I got loads of calls of people saying he might be, you know, and I hadn't spoken to Matthew. In fact, we'd never met or anything. Okay. I just got messages that he was kind of, uh, he was interested. And then finally there was a call and uh, I got um, the part of Septimus in Stardust. And uh, the first time we met was in a, it was in some kind of nondescript office area. Mm. That ain't helping, come on. Nondescript doesn't focus. It wouldn't have been them, would it? Not back then, no. It was some kind of office area, and I had to do the scene of Septimus on the beach with the the runes. Oh, I remember now. Yeah? Yeah. I remember. I I offended you. Huh? I did offend you that day. Did you? Yeah, because I said you need to do a posh accent, and you said you were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Yeah, Yeah, I do remember that. I was rather embarrassed. Yeah. I actually cared then. No, it was amazing. <laughs> well, no, you, it, was a, it was a proper yeah. audition. I remember now, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think we've done... Uh, have we, that was the only time you ever auditioned. No, you didn't need to. Yeah, that. yeah. He knew me by then. <laughs> yeah. So he hasn't auditioned for you since, Matthew, you know? Doesn't have to. I'm lucky to get him. <laughs> oh, that's a nice thing to say. No, it's true. He taught me something on, uh, on Stardust, which of a roaming eyeline, which I didn't think was possible. And uh, we're doing a shot where the camera was tracking I think left to right and you're looking out across the ocean and he goes don't worry I can make the eye line always match and he did and without I was, just, we were, I was astonished so from then on you're in well, are you a Jedi it's, what, what, how do you he's a magician it's, right? I, it was unbelievable if your eye line is straight out and a camera is you know 
coming past you literally from there to there. Yeah. You have to, you know, if the camera's moving, it'll be past you if you keep your eye line stationary over that way. But what happened was, I managed to just sort of gently track with it and keep my eyes and slowly move with the camera as it went all the way along. So a bit like one of those pictures where the eyes follow you around the room. <laughs> That's what happened. It blew my mind. It really did. You can only see go. his eyes move. Okay. Yeah, it was very yeah. impressive. Sorry, I'm probably rather like, dull for everyone else. No, but don't you we like eyes, you know. So if you're in demand now, Mark, did you have demands for for the second Kingsman? Like, were you? Did you come in going? I mean, I'll do it, but only if. Oh no, 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 no. I was I was just really delighted to be involved. I mean, I've I've not really had much luck with sequels, to be honest. I mean, if they happen, I'm usually dead. <laughs> and, uh, and and if uh, if I'm not dead, they don't happen. I mean, I think of John Carter and Green Lantern didn't, and uh, Kick-Ass and Sherlock Holmes did. Yeah. So it was the first time I got to, to be in a sequel. And what's wonderful about that is that you, you know, you've laid the groundwork. And uh, what's brilliant, I think, about Kingsman 2, and Matthew always kind of knew this, was that once you have a film that people like and takes people by surprise, how do you, how do, you do that again? Because the surprise is gone. Yeah. So now people know the world, they know the characters... But what he knew instinctively was that you just move them on. So they didn't need introducing in the second one. What they needed was to have storylines that people empathised with so that you started to care about them. So I was really happy to be involved because I felt like Merlin went to a, the next level. Mm. Matthew, is, is Merlin a, a character that's close to your heart? Do you have a lot of affection for that character? Yes. <laughs> no, I really do. I mean, I think he is the glue of the movie. Yeah. He really sort of... Um, He's the balance and the anchor to what can sometimes be sheer lunacy. Um, and he's the, the voice of reason. Hmm. As a human being as well. Yeah. No, but you are. Mark's, he's a veteran like no other. So he does sometimes have pearls of wisdom on the set. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> was, it, yeah. was it love at first sight between you two? Did you think... Was it, was it the eyeline thing that made you think, I want this guy... No, the eyeline did movie. really impress me. <laughs> He's probably surprised and remembering it, but I really was like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Really but you'd dumb. also had a lot of non-actors foisted on you by Guy, hadn't you, if you think about it? In the, in the kind yeah. of early films, there was a lot of um, non-actors, non-actors, non-trained yeah. actors, who yeah. were all fantastic, but they weren't trained. So I think uh, you, you know, with Daniel, say, in Layer Cake and, and the cast that you had in that, yeah. realised the value of... of uh, Trained actors, it was simple mm-hmm. as that, I yeah. think. I was told off by a lot. <laughs> on their kit, because I watched how Guy treated actors, and it was pretty brutal, uh, even though they weren't actors, so they didn't know that that wasn't normal, and yeah. I thought it was normal. So on their kit, uh, <laughs> Uh, Daniel took me to one side and said, look, you cannot do line readings to Michael Gambon. It's just not how it works. Um, and I actually had to say, what's a line reading? And he, went, um, and he said, when you show, you know, we're not parrots. And so I stopped doing that. But that was, um, does Guy still do that? Does he? Uh, does he, what, give line readings? Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. He'll just, uh. you know. And it's actors hate it because it, it takes away your, oh, really? you know, your invention. Yeah. 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 So, so you didn't know either. That's good to say. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I didn't know that. But, but here you've got the opposite. You've got five Oscar winners in the cast. Yes. Five. So, including know. Elton John, of course. Yeah. 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 They are the golden circle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> who, who, are, who are the five Oscar winners? So, Julianne Moore, Halle Berry, yeah. uh, Colin Firth, yeah. Elton John, yeah. and Jeff, uh, Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Jeff, Bridges. Uh, yeah. Jeff. wow. Yeah. And we, 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 the Kingsman had Colin. 
Yeah. <laughs> we, we could, you know, Slightly we've got one. <laughs> They've got home team advantage, that's all. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's true. So can you talk about um, coming up with the idea of a Kingsman in the Golden Circle, which is, I know that you've, you've said in the past to me that you were worried about a sequel. You hadn't directed, you didn't direct Days of Future Past in mm-hmm. the end, and you didn't direct Kick-Ass 2. Or X-Men 3. Or X-Men 3, yes, yeah. famously. Yeah. Um, what was it about this one that made you want to commit to that? Um, it didn't feel like a sequel. It felt like a proper continuation, the next chapter. Um, the sequels that I loved were things like Godfather 2, Empire Strikes Back, Terminator 2, and they were, you know, it was, it, it was a continuation of a story, and those films deserve to be made and to be watched, and I feel a lot of sequels are just people cashing in, grabbing the money. Um, I'm sort of guilty on that. I did do that on Kick-Ass 2. Um, and I learned my lesson. So I thought, not again. And, and, and I, I had so much fun making... When we made um, Lockstock, there was a bunch of guys who became friends and were just prepared to try anything, were brave, supportive, and a great movie came out of it. Mm. And... Kingsman was a very similar vibe because nobody wanted to make it in Hollywood again and uh, nobody understood what the tone was, the fact it was going to be R-rated. But the actors were all game on to just make it work and we were, we were friends. We generally, when we were on set, we actually liked seeing each other. <laughs> so, it's, um, so, so I wanted to get the band back together. Yeah. <laughs> so Mark, did all the actors key into that tone? Because Kingsman does have a very specific tone. Right from the off? Yeah, I mean, what Matthew has put together is, a, is, is a, like a rep company. You know, he works, I think, I don't want to speak for him, but with people that he trusts and gets on with, and we feel the same about him. You know, there's a, there's a, I always describe it as the dance you have to do with new people that you work with. You have to work out what everybody's steps are, how you're going to dance with them. And once you know somebody, the dance, you already know each other's steps. Mm. So um, we kind of uh, all felt like that, I think. Um, and I know that I'll speak for Colin and Taron, but they were delighted to come back as well because there's a real family feel and there's a lot of loyalty and a lot of trust that goes on. And, they, and that has to happen because, um, you know, the director is your, your <clears throat> pal behind the camera, your mate, you know, the one who can tell you, no, don't do that, that's rubbish, that's not going to work, or do this because this is going to be better. And, um, you know, we, we, we trust Matthew. I mean, I certainly do uh, because you know that you'll get the right... Um, you'll get the right information coming back at you so you, you feel confident in what you're doing. So, yeah, I think we all, we all love coming back. How close did uh, Merlin come to being Welsh? And are you, are you glad, Mark, that that did not happen? Very, he, he, you envisaged him as Welsh, didn't you? Yeah, I wanted to be Welsh. He wouldn't do it. <laughs> I just can't, I can't do Welsh. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I would have given it a go, no, no problem. But I think, uh, you know, you have to be very careful about what, what you can and can't do. And again, it was another nondescript sort of office that we had our first read through. And uh, he hadn't told me before that moment. So I think I remember sitting around the table with Taryn and, uh, and Colin. And Taryn is Welsh. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. And Matthew said, you know, I want him Welsh. And uh, I couldn't work out why. And, uh, but, the, uh, you know, the, the logic of it is totally sound, which is that, you know, the, the Kingsmen are very posh. Colin's character is very posh. You know, Eggsy's from the street. Merlin had to be somewhere in the middle. So we wanted to find a kind of regional accent that didn't place him as, as either really working class or, or really upper class. Yeah. And also, I loved Windsor Davis. <laughs> <laughs> and I, just, so I thought I saw Merlin was a Windsor Davis-y, Davis-y whatever. Yeah. Oh, really? So, Wicked Feet with the, uh, the bushy tash, is that what you ultimately saw? <laughs> um, 
The sergeant major. I think Kenneth Branagh's nicked that now. Tash is 12 feet long. Yeah. So, Mark, had you never attempted Welsh before? Uh, no, I can honestly say I've never attempted it, except in the privacy of my own. I bet you do a Richard home. Burton. <laughs> I bet you can do a mean Richard Burton. Uh, maybe with a bit of practice I could, but yeah. uh, it, it's tough. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at accents, I have to say, and uh, yeah. uh, I can do most of them, but that, that's, uh, I don't know why. Maybe I've never, I haven't heard it enough. Mm. Mm. Okay. Who okay. knows? Who knows why? Any, any Welsh people here want to give Mark yeah, a over there, yeah. yeah. I love the, the Scottish, though. I thought that we've, we, we found in the end there's a really good, uh, uh, you know, a good blend of what we were talking mm. about. Or yeah. it's, a, it's a good uh, result uh, because it's not gruff, guys. You know, he's not really hard <laughs> and all of that. We, 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 we chose a sort of light Scots that would kind of make you like him. Um, <laughs> that, that's no offence to Glaswegians, I have to say, but they can be scary if, uh, you know, if they want to be. Well, Mark um, Miller's from Glasgow, so he sort of tainted our, <laughs> our vision of how nice they can be. <laughs> and he, he paid me, a, I don't know if it was a compliment or if he was taking the piss, but he said to me, um, he said, uh, I don't know, I don't know, Mark, uh, I don't know how you've managed it, because I said, how's the accent, is it all right? I, mean, I don't know how you've managed it, but you've managed to nail northeast Fife. <laughs> <laughs> now say, say that again in a proper Glaswegian accent so you know how Mark sounds. But how, how Glaswegian is Mark? Like you can't understand a word yeah, <laughs> He's subtitled in real life. It's, it's yeah. really strange. You do hear my idea, and then blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, we love so you dearly. Is it really that specific, Mark? Or, you know, no, it, I think he was taking like a piss. A street. <laughs> I think he was. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He's a Scot, and he's telling me, you're brilliant. Northeast Fife, you're right there. <laughs> what is Northeast Fife? Is anyone Fife? here from Northeast Fife? Or, or even Fife. How's Mark's accent? It's fucking good. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. It's amazing. It's just It's brilliant. Um, okay, Chris, let's hear Welsh. Please so don't encourage him, please. Oh, hi. Wait, wait a minute. I have to get into character, haven't I? Okay. What one man can do, another can do. Say with me, Bob. What one man can do, another can do. Okay. No. Mark was right. <laughs> so what you're saying is, I'm not in Kingsman 3. Maybe, uh, you know what, there are no rules in this franchise. So, uh, but like have never a guy, say never. Like, hmm? what, what, what accent is that guy doing? He popped yeah. up in Kingsman 3 for three seconds. Uh, um, is Kingsman 3 next? For who? For, for both of you, for either of you, for anyone in the audience, but specifically for, for you. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, let's hope people go watch Kingsman. Uh, the, well, I don't like saying Kingsman 2, so Kingsman <laughs> the Golden Circle. I hope people will go see it. And um, yeah, I'd love to make another one. I really would. And um, I'm really proud of this. I mean, it was a, it was a really scary endeavor making a sequel. So I think we, we've um, figured out how to do it. So we can apply the rules to the next one. There were some reports yesterday about you being in talks for something else, though. Have you? Is there, is there any truth to these Man of Steel 2 rumors? Um, I'm sorry. Well, it's really fun. I mean, rumors are, you know, rumors are rumors. And, and, um, and in Hollywood, virtually everyth- everyone lies and there's rumors and you never know what the truth is. Um, and it's, it's a really odd. I'm a fanboy, so I love, uh, I, love, I love superheroes. So it's a bit odd when people say to me, uh, you know, would you like to do Superman or, you know, X, Y, and Z? I'm going to start more rumors. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, it's really hard for me to say no, and um, 
I'm very, very keen on them. On I love Superman, and I think um, there is a great version of Superman still to be made. I mean, I, I love Batman. I don't think there's a great. Well, there is one day another great version of Batman to be made, but that's not in me at the moment. And I think Matt Reeves will do something spectacular. Um, but um, I'm not saying yes, and I'm definitely not saying no. Um, right. <laughs> but time will tell, and and it's. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not many... St- oh, I don't know. The answer is maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. maybe. And uh, if you were to look to reboot Lex Luthor, Matthew, who would you be looking at? <laughs> just, just, just wondering. I can 100% say it wouldn't be Mark, because he's, he's, he's played too many villains, and I think it'd be more fun to cast him as... Perry White. No, he's... No, Perry White's not a good big enough. I don't know if I... In, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> he could be Margot Kidder. And so, no, <laughs> no, it's time. I think it's time for a good villain again. I've, I've been away for a while now from yeah, the villains. So it's yeah. may, maybe it's time to get back and find a really good one. I sp- that's why I enjoy seeing you do Merlin, though, because it's nice that you're not... Well, true, to be, yeah. ...to do the... You know, you, anyway, I don't know. Because I was nearly Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Wasn't I? In yeah, the X-Men. Yeah, they wouldn't... Yeah. They just, it was, they, it was, oh God, you know, the casting on that was just a joke because you know, I wanted him, then I wanted Brian Cranston, and they're like, who's Brian Cranston? And like, <laughs> That's quite I, good. I, um, admittedly, he hadn't done Breaking Bad yet, but yeah. what an actor. One of yeah. the best auditions I've ever had. Um, yeah. But the cast, that's why I'm, I don't like doing the big Hollywood films because they sort of, uh, even on that one, he didn't, they didn't, they literally said you can't cast, um, I always say his name right, wrong, I mean, Fast, Fastbander? Fastbander. Fast Fast Michael. Um, Michael, just call him Michael. Uh, Michael and Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence, sorry. Uh, they're like, you can't cast these two. And I was like, well, why not? And they weren't, named, they weren't names back then. Then again, the, Daniel Craig was a no when I wanted to put him in Layer Cake. Yeah, you had this. Um, Charlie Cox in Stardust. Yeah, they didn't care on Stardust, weirdly. <laughs> so, um, um, but, um, but Charlie's done well. I mean, he took him time to get the recognition he deserved. Um, but it's... Yeah, they, they, in Hollywood, they like just to cast a name, but they don't figure out whether that name is actually right for the role, which yeah. is just stupid. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and I'd love to keep talking to you guys, but we will let you go. Uh, on that note, you please give it up. Once again, Mark oh. Strong, Matthew Fong. to our guests, uh, Mark Strong, Matthew Fawn, and next up we're going to cast an eye over the week's big releases at your local Googleplex. Um, is that right? If I've done that right? Uh, Kingsman the Golden Circle will be reviewed next week on next week's show. Uh, first up, we have the return though of Darren Aronofsky. Darrenofsky. Not Danny Boyle, thankfully. Not Danny Boyle. <laughs> oh, Love Mother is brilliant. A great film, really exciting. It's great. Jennifer Lawrence, wonderful. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's Mother, it's Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Um, it's a film called Mother, directed by Darren. We're not reviewing Darren Aronofsky's Mother, that would be weird. I don't know her nearly well enough to do that. Um, 
In which, anyway, the film stars Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. They play a, a married couple whose life is turned upside down by all manner of things. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. <laughs> uh, Phil, are you talking about this one? Uh, yeah, okay. okay. I will. I saw it this, this afternoon, so it's fresh. <laughs> um, I, I read... It's like Darren Aronofsky sort of turns up every year or two with a film that just defies your ability to use three stars in a review. It's, it's not possible yeah. to give it three stars. You can give it anything but three yeah. stars. Yeah, so it kind of, the three stars just hangs in the cupboard when so. Aronofsky's around. And this is another one. I mean, I, I think it's going to polarise the shit out of people. Um, I read an American film writer on Twitter saying that Yes, people are hating it, but they'll be talking about it in 20 years' time. And I will be talking about it in 20 years' time and saying that I wish I hadn't fucking seen it. <laughs> okay. This is... Um, this That's is not the official Empire Review, by the way. No, it's not. This is Phil Dissemian live and raw and delirious and uncut, and he just doesn't a lot give of a shit can, anymore. Can, can I say, yes, just wait, in addition to I, that point... I, I don't feel like entirely... Yeah, okay, no, I just want to add to that. Yeah. When I saw it, when I realised what he was going for in that last sort of 15, 20 minutes, I had hysterics. Like, yes. I couldn't stop laughing. I was crying with laughter, like I was in Fast Five, or, <laughs> or, or like I was when I heard about Fabio and the goose on the roller coaster. Oh, yeah. You know, I literally couldn't stop laughing for like a day. Yeah. Um, I, yes. I genuinely lost it. I was walking out of the cinema crying. Anyway, I just thought well, that was you know, I mean, it, it, it does sort of provoke those sorts of reactions, I would say. I mean, look, just to give it some context... Um, it's that, that would this... be helpful, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the end. Would it, though? I don't know. It's, it, it's this big... They live in this big sort of white house, something out of an Edward Hopper painting. Um, they don't have names. Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is... Mother. Mother, and Javier Bardem is just him. Him. Um, and he... She, <laughs> okay. It starts off, so, it starts off yeah. with, you know, she's basically kind of, he's a, he's a blocked writer. She's put her heart and soul into building this amazing palatial house for them to live in. There's no, weirdly, there's no kind of, um, there's no driveway. So the, the house is plonked in the middle of an expansive kind of verdant greenery. Like, there's probably a meaning there. There may be a meaning in all of this. There, but I don't, I don't exactly know what it is. I mean, this film is very heavily laden with metaphors. So just to give you a bit more plot, obviously the doorbell, there's a knock on the door and Ed Harris turns up claiming to be a, a doctor who's moving to a local hospital in this forest. <laughs> um, and Javier Bardem doesn't know him, but he welcomes him in. And then... You know, the next day, his wife, Ed Harris's wife, turns up. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Played by Michelle Pfeiffer, and they start making out inappropriately immediately. And it's all a bit weird, and, and Jennifer Lawrence's character's like, why are you allowing these people into our house? There's a bit of the sort of male-female power dynamics. He's making decisions for both of them without consulting. And that kind of, that kind of imbalance in a relationship and love plays into the whole film. But then on top of that, you've got layered... To my mind, like... Sledgehammer subtle kind of <laughs> religious allegories about you know Judeo-Christian. I mean, You're yeah. supposed to be there's like Cain and Abel things going on. There's kind of Mary Magdalene. There's Mother Earth. There's like environmental. There's also it sort of plays out like a kind of a cautionary tale about lending your house as an Airbnb property. Yeah, really does. Uh, yeah. At the end, you know, just all manner of crazies turn up, and I mean, I don't want to give away too much. It, it is what you describe as a roller coaster ride. Um, <laughs> Kind of, if you're strapped was, to the front of the roller coaster. I was often, I was often angry at it while I was watching it, but I wasn't generally <laughs> bored. 
No. And and I I'm in I'm in this awkward position since I saw it where I want to be able to talk to everyone about it, but I can't honestly recommend that anyone see it. <laughs> so you know, if you have seen it, then mm-hmm. we should definitely have it's that It's one of those ones where you come and you're like, okay, great. You know, I could say some things about it. You know, the sound design is amazing. The, you know, Jennifer Lawrence puts her heart and soul into it. I know that sounds like a sound design. Dammy with fame plays, no, but, but it's a horror yeah. movie. And in fairness, it's psychological yeah. horror. It needs that sound design. You know, those Roman Polanski-ish mm. elements. Rosemary's Baby is a touch point. And I look through my phone book of my friends who I might want to recommend to see it. And I've got, like, Mad Jack, who lives on a rock in the ocean. <laughs> he might fancy it, but that's it. Like, it's just not one I can recommend to people because it's just deeply difficult watching. And I think, I mean, you know, you don't mind watching challenging filmmakers at work. Um, and I, I would preface this by saying that we gave this film four stars. <laughs> I'm out on my own here, but, you know, there, there are challenging we... filmmakers out there, you know, Lars von Trier, Michael Haneke, yeah. you know, there's people that you watch their films and you're like, wow, that was tough. But, you know, yeah. I, feel, I feel like there's so many metaphors in this film happening at the same time. Yeah. That it's just flinging stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks there, there are um, a whole heap of metaphors and I feel like if you haven't really really learned your bible and maybe done some Talmudic study as well like you're not going to get everything that I think is yeah. what he's going for but yeah. equally other people have completely different readings of it which yeah. kind of seem to fit the facts also so you, yeah. I don't think you have to watch it purely as just this bombardment of allegories and metaphors which it is but it's also like I, I found it was quite an effective like sort of paranoid thriller where it, it's somebody described it as like a really good visualization of anxiety and there's something in that because mm. it's fucking mental <laughs> uh, and it makes you feel really like it's I, I think I saw a tweet somebody said it's a film only a mother could love because it, <laughs> it it does make you feel really like disturbed and unsettled I left the cinema just like not yeah. trusting anyone around me. You're right not to. We're all out to get you. Well, <laughs> that's not good when there's 300 people looking at me. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm probably, I may be in a minority. We gave it four stars. Lots of people love this Lots film. Lots of people love it. Uh, you know, I think maybe Aronofsky would be happy that some people hate it and some people love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly a Lars von Trier would be. I'm sure Aronofsky's the same. I was a bit surprised because Noah, which for me didn't really work that well, yeah. another biblical Old Testament story. I was a bit surprised that he he was ploughing that furrow again. Mm. But, um, you know, it is, you're right, it does work sort of as a Polanski-ish kind of psychological thriller and it goes Mm. to some very strange places. Um, We've really only talked about the first, like, out, you know, well, we can. We, we, yeah, we Has anyone seen it, by the way? Because obviously we're doing this. Oh, yeah, it's out, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's out. All the films we're talking about are out. Um, so, I, hands yeah. up for who's on Phil's side <laughs> and that it's utter rubs. One person, <laughs> and then had two people, two people, and then the people who liked it. There we go. The Seven eyes have it. Yeah, we brought it back to four stars. Four stars. Hey, listen, I'm just saying what I think. But um, yeah, yeah. That's no, absolutely. You, you just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> You've well, dropping mics all over no, the place. Listen, we're here to say what we think, right? Burning. But yeah, yeah, I mean, and but uh, Empire's review is very much of the four star kind. Yeah. But I think also yeah. would. I mean, having read Dan's review of it, it, it he he justifies says, it. Yeah, he justifies yeah. it. And I, and think it that's I mean, fair you, enough. I mean, you can fault it for like a whole lot of things, but you can't fault its ambition. No. Uh, which is no. I, I, we always talk yeah. in this podcast about how we really admire directors who go for it 
and he goes for it. He, he, he really does. I don't last. know what it is, but he goes yeah. for it. Like he, he gets, I think he gets what he was going for. I really do. But um, whether it's to everyone's taste, I don't know. But he does this really interesting stylistic thing where he has the camera pretty much shoved either in Jennifer Lawrence's face or right close, like right just over, over her shoulder, shoulder mm. pretty much the entire movie. There's maybe, there's maybe about five or six shots that she isn't in. Uh, and... There's maybe about four of those shots or four shots where she is in that are long shots, mm. wide shots where she's over the other side, uh, uh, you know, she's small in the frame. It's really interesting. It makes you just feel like you're absolutely yeah. in that with, with her. You're in this situation with her. It's really intense. I, I do think she's phenomenal in it, despite her wig. And, uh, I do, is I, you know, wig? Oh. You think? Yeah. I can't spot these things. Like someone said to me once, Fal Kilmer's wig in Heat. I went, excuse me, what? Fal Kimmel wears a wig and heat. What the? What? It's just ruined that film for me now. But yeah. I genuinely. Is that a. You know, that's a pretty sure that's a wig. The only wig I can ever spot in movies is the one the guy wears at the beginning of Police Academy, where Steve Gutenberg <laughs> literally goes, That's a wig, isn't it? That's, apart from that. Anyway, so four I, I stars for Mother. Yeah, four stars for Mother, everybody. Yeah. Right, we pulled that back. It. Go see it. Yeah. Seamless segue. <laughs> <laughs> Four Stars for Mother, which is uh, a recommendation. Just don't watch it around Phil's house. I think it's the best way to, to uh, talk about that. Uh, next up, we have uh, Victoria and Abdul, which is uh, a semi-sequel to Mrs. Brown, but directed by a different director. This is uh, Stephen Frears, not John Madden, I believe, direct Mr. Mrs. Brown. Uh, Judy Dench once again uh, reprises the role of Queen Victoria as she forms a bond with a young Indian courtier played by Ali Fazal. Um, Helen, do you want to take this one? Sure, yeah. yeah. Why not? Um, so this, uh, as you say, it's it's Victoria in her later days. So even John Brown is now a memory, never mind Prince Albert. Uh, she is in failing health. Uh, she is slowing down. She's becoming even more cantankerous, which, as you can imagine, it gives Judy Dench a lot to work with. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she's basically miserable. And then in the middle of all this, there's yet another ceremonial dinner for her jubilee. And uh, two young Indian clerks are brought over to present her with a ceremonial coin. It's the least impressive looking thing you've ever seen in your life. It's like this big. It's just like a tiny coin on a big cushion. Anyway, but there's two of them there <laughs> to present it. And one of them is Abdul, who's played by Ali Fazal, as you said. So... He's just handsome, and he, he breaks protocol, and he looks at her, and she sees him looking at her and, and is clearly a bit taken with him, and so, mm. you know, calls him to wait upon her the next day, and then the next thing you know, uh, he's basically been appointed a sort of secretary to her, and she, he's now teaching her Urdu because she feels like, well, I'm Empress of India. I should be able to speak to my subjects there. Um, and, and he is her munshi, a word that is repeated ad nauseum through the film, um, which means sort of teacher and, and spiritual guide and, and so on. Yeah. Um, and basically, this becomes a problem because she really starts to depend on him and really starts to lean on him. And yet the rest of the court are like, who the heck is this guy? And why is he getting to spend all this face time with the queen? Mm. So um, it, this is it, before face time was invented. I know, well. right? Um, so you've got, uh, you know, basically the entire court and in particular the crown prince played yep. by Eddie Izzard uh, getting rather perturbed by all this and essentially plotting against him behind his back indeed mm. indeed John Phil have you seen this film I haven't seen no. it okay great <laughs> so Chris um, so look the, it's uh, all did you get the email telling you to go see the film uh, so it's basically it's all very <laughs> it's all very sumptuous it looks beautiful it's um, as you'd expect Judy Dench is magnificent as the queen mm. my my kind of niggle with this one is I mm -hmm. don't feel like Abdul himself is given enough weight. 
And I feel like he as a character is rather underdeveloped. It does yep. become clear that this is all going to his head a little bit. He starts dressing very fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's clearly kind of getting airs and, and you know, getting very comfortable with Her Majesty. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're never quite sure how much of it is ambition and how much is genuine affection, because there does seem to be an element of both. And, yeah, and really he does. doesn't really get enough... It's not, not nothing against Fazal's performance, but it, mm. he doesn't get enough development to really dig into that character and really show what's going on in there, I thought. That's fair, that's fair. Uh, I was thoroughly charmed by this film. Um, in many ways, and this is not going to be a recommendation to people, but it reminded me of uh, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, which is another Stephen Frears film uh, recently. It, it hits many of the same beats, yeah. uh, right down to certain scenes that are repeated. I, I won't go in too much into it, but you can Google this stuff. Um, uh, Queen Victoria is not alive anymore, guys. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, it's re- I know, shock, shock. <laughs> Believe me, I genuinely had to Google that before, and I'm not too up on this sort of stuff. Um, I thought it was really, really well handled. The first, the first 45 minutes to an hour is really, really charming. It's a lovely comedy of manners. It's a lovely light comedy. It's a weird rom-com in a strange mm. way. Uh, very, uh, uh, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? People don't, it begins with P. Unrequited, no. It begins with P. Parlor. That's it, parlor. It's a parlor rom-com. No, it doesn't. Um, but it's a lovely relationship, I think, between Victoria and between Abdul. You're right, he doesn't, he doesn't get filled in, I think, enough to really make it work. But then it gets darker, and I think it gets darker by necessity. Yeah. And Eddie Izzard turns up, and I think people will expect Eddie Izzard to go, cake or death, and the people will be like, oh, it's really funny, Eddie Izzard, he's going to extemporize for ages, and he doesn't, he's really nasty. And the um, guy plays Jamie in, in, in the loop and in, in the thick of it is the royal doctor, and he's a bit of a weasel as well. Mm, they're awful. Yeah. Did Eddie Izzard's uh, posh voice remind you a little bit of Tyrion Lannister? It wouldn't I, remind you because you've never seen it. I have anyway. seen it. I've seen two episodes of Game of Thrones. Okay. No, so I didn't. It really reminded me of Peter Dinklage's English accent, and I now really need a film where Eddie Izzard and Peter Dinklage, I don't know, go into business together. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Just they do something, and they have a nice okay. time. <laughs> I would absolutely pay to see that in a heartbeat. Um, I think this is very, very good. I think Stephen Frears is in a rich vein of form. Judy Dench is fantastic. Mm. And even though, as we say, Abdul doesn't get enough shade and depth to the character, I think Ali Fasal is a very, 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 very good in the role indeed. Yeah. And uh, a really, really great cast. Like Olivia Williams is in it very, very briefly. Um, Tim Pickett-Smith is very, very good. Simon Callow turns yeah. up for his scene. Um, it's just a, it's a good cast all around. Yeah. So solid stuff. We gave it four stars and I would absolutely go with that. You will be charmed by this film. And you know what? He may even be moved as well. Um, okay, so last this week we have the South Korean action thriller, The Villainess. Uh, which a young woman sets out on a rip-roaring rampage of revenge that makes the bride look like the bridesmaid. John. Yes. Well, it's funny because she actually dresses up as a bride in this film uh, with a sniper rifle. So there is echoes of <laughs> Kill Bill. Um, it, it, there's also echoes of Old Boy, I suppose. This is in sort of the grand tradition of South Korean uh, revenge thrillers um, and it starts off in a corridor with a massive corridor fight with one versus a hundred so it's got that old boy edge to it um, as we join the movie it's, it's all in first person so it's a bit like hardcore Henry only not shit uh, <laughs> it's really really impressive stuff and then her head gets banged against the wall and the camera sort of leaves her head and, and it becomes it's really clever um, and the action is astonishingly good. So we're meeting, uh, this is Suki, the, the character played by uh, Kim Ok-bin. 
Um, and she is sort of this ruthless assassin, and she gets snapped up into uh, essentially a sort of centurions for, for murderers, I guess. Um, <laughs> centurions. <laughs> yeah, centurions, yeah. 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 Centurions, yeah. Um, and uh, so it, it, it sort of follows on from that. She has a child, um, which adds a little bit of a wrinkle to it. As there is a sort of blistering opening sequence, and then it sort of leads into this slightly incoherent plotting as we, we learn of, through flashbacks a bit of her backstory. Um, and the, the, the middle section sort of does a bit of a handbrake turn. Um, mm. the, the tone suddenly switches into a sort of really unlikely single-parent romance drama, <laughs> which, is, which is slightly curious, and, it, and I felt like it lost a bit of the energy um, of the first act. This is the thing. The action sequences in this film are remarkable. They're, they're, I, there are times when I just don't understand where the camera person is. Right. Like, they're, yeah. they're just they're without some sort of law of physics being broken. I, th- I think there's some digital stitching well, of cameras yes. going on, but like you can't tell how you still, even knowing that that must be how it's done, you can't tell how it's done. The, the joins are incredible. It's it's incredible. It's, there's there's some really audacious uh, stunts. There's an amazing fight scene uh, between three motorcyclists moving at speeds uh, with swords. And like, <laughs> if you're going to fight on a motorbike, don't use swords. That's like that's the first thing they teach you at motorcycle stunt school. <laughs> use a lance, surely, or, or just like a mounted chain gun. Anyway, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so I, I think plotting-wise and story-wise, I, I wasn't 100% sure what was going on the entire time. <laughs> but it's sort of forgivable because it's yeah. really bloody cool. Yeah, um, it is. So I think we gave this one four stars. Four I did, stars. yeah. yeah. Four stars all round this week. Fantastic. So four stars for the film. Uh, Helen, you would concur with that, wouldn't you? I wrote the review, so I should hope so. Okay, good. I didn't read that bit. I read the, re- I read the review. And I was going, oh, this is a very well-written review. I wonder who wrote this. <laughs> Turns Thank out you. it's Helen. Has so your done. estimation gone down? No. Oh. If anything, it's gone up. Aww, they were complete you. sentences, they ended in full stops. I was very, very happy with that. All good. Uh, so four stars then for Helen's review of the Philaness, and four <laughs> stars also for the Philaness herself. Um, uh, also out this week is American Assassin. <laughs> I mean, sure. it's, yeah. it is a film. It's a film. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm, can't go death. Um, to death. <laughs> Two stars. Two stars for American Assassin. I think you got that from that review, um, which is not a recommendation. Uh, And now we have about 19 minutes left, it says here on the little clock. Look at that, it's a little clock. 19 minutes, 19 minutes, 7 seconds. Um, And we're going to have some questions from you guys now, so we can get the house lights up. Mr. House Light Empresario. Oh, there you are. And we've got roving mics, people with roving mics. We do have roving mics, it's amazing. And a a gentleman in the front row with his hand up. Hello. Um, myself and my friend here just come out of a, of a screening of uh, Mother before coming to see you guys. <laughs> and Sorry. we walked out and people were openly like weeping and crying. That's, that's the most wow. visceral reaction I've seen from a film ever. Have you guys seen people having such straight, such harsh or uh, vivid reactions from, from films that you've seen or screenings? Uh, well, I, mean, I genuinely, I'm not kidding about having hysterics in Mother. I, I genuinely couldn't stop laughing for 20 minutes. Um, and, and I was crying with laughter. Um, uh, so I've had that a few times. Um, yeah. And uh, Michael Collins, I don't know if any of you have seen the Liam Neeson film, Michael Collins. I don't know. I, I cried on the way out of the cinema, uh, through the toilets, so washed my hands, came back out, walked down the street, realized I'd left my glasses in the toilets, went back. 
was still crying. So that one really got to me. I think that was in more of an Irish thing, though, and general despair at the state of the world at that point. Um, but, you know, well, yeah. that, yeah. That's, That's probably my most extreme anyway. Be like after every movie at the moment, really, <laughs> pretty much. Um, are you asking about reactions we've had or reactions we've seen other people have? Either you or, you or other people. Just kind of taking it back, they didn't expect. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I definitely remember the first time I saw Schindler's List. I mean, that, that just destroys people. But I remember very distinctly, this was in the Ivey Cinema in Banbridge, my hometown in Northern Ireland. And I distinctly remember about an hour, hour and a half into the film, two guys got up, walked to the back of the cinema, turned around and went, this is a load of fucking shite. <laughs> <laughs> And then walked out. Phil, you would have, I mean, honestly, the black and white subtitle movie, you would have gone for them. Absolutely, just gone by <laughs> yeah. the throat. And I don't think I've ever seen that happen before in a movie where people feel in the move to comment on the film and the, the choice of the people remaining behind to watch it. Uh, that's always lodged in my mind, and that, that just pretty much sums up my hometown as well. <laughs> God. I'm going to think of something as soon as this is over. I just, uh, you always hear about it at Cannes, don't you? Like people doing crazy shit. Like, I don't know. Mark Camo taking his shoe off and whipping it at the screen. That kind of thing. did not happen. We have yeah, to. Well, yeah. we, we've repeated that rumor enough times in the true. podcast. And he, no, now. he's corrected it. He, he, yeah, but it's, it's, it's too late. It's true. It's too late. It's now come true. true. As your lawyer, that's not how truth uh, works. <laughs> you just uh, hammer the rumor until it becomes truth. I'm getting yeah. there, though. As I recall, I he, he threw a shoe, he peeled uh, off maybe not, one maybe of his not. socks. Okay. And he, was, he ate right. the film. He was furious. He was so angry. He I, burned there is the one uh, Vance Cassell talks about when Irreversible screened at Cannes. Right. And, then it, and then the lights came up and there was just a bloke booing. Really <laughs> 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 Which sounds like a crazy thing to happen. And it's just one bloke standing booing until he realised it was his brother. <laughs> quite like that. But I don't, I don't know, we're quite like in, in yeah. our screenings where everyone's quite polite and, you know, no, it's just it's sandwiches. It's like a secret. You're going to take it out of the room, yeah. away yeah. from other journalists, and then, like, talk about it with people at work. Oh, you, you, can, you, you yeah, you're fun. very rarely do you actually reveal facially what you thought of the film. You have to be very. I remember recently we came out of um, Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, someone we knew who was connected to the film. Uh, saw James Dyer, I wouldn't say any names, but saw James Dyer's face and just burst out laughing because James' face was an absolute picture. <laughs> just he'd sat through two hours of limp, badly improvised shit. You guys might in some way uh, sympathise. <laughs> so 90 but, minutes in fairness. Yeah, it's 90 minutes. Economic. We're doing all right. But yeah, I just uh, that, that, that lodges in my mind. John, how do you My, my favourite cinema in London is Peckinplex. I don't know if anyone knows that one. <laughs> It's, uh, it's probably it's the most lively cinema, let's say, in London. Uh, I saw Get Out there, and there was a couple of ladies at the back. In fact, most half of the crowd there, to be honest, were really into it because it's a good sort of audience response film, Get Out. And mm. yeah, there was a couple of people who were just like, "No, don't do that! <laughs> don't go in there!" Literally vocalising all of their emotions <laughs> throughout the film. And uh, to be honest, it was actually <laughs> made the film. It was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so there was a gentleman in the fourth row, I believe. Uh, what do you really think of Tinstar? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. As, 
as Christmas <laughs> I'll be honest, I am actually watching it. My sister's over there, she can confirm. Uh, we have actually been sitting watching it. We're like six episodes in, something like that. And five, I apologize. And, uh, and so far, I actually quite like it. But then I was on mm. set, so I have warm and fuzzy feelings because I got to go around all the places. Yeah. And I'm, I, I get to do that fun thing you do when you've been on set, which is to be really annoying to the other person in the room and go, I've been there. <laughs> that interior is not actually in that building. It's, acro- it's across Tim the street. Tim Roth is not there. real. He's, he's CG. He's CG, entirely CG. Do you mean uh, Tim Star, the Sky Atlantic original series, <laughs> starring Tim Roth as Jim Worth, the, an expat cop who comes to the small Rocky Mountains town of Little Big Bear and investigates a crime involving Christina Hendricks as a local oil baron PR lady who's quite evil. That Tim Star? <laughs> Haven't seen it. Any other questions? Hello, <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. I wouldn't say we're work, but we had a certain Irish A-list film star and not too long ago. There's so and, many to choose from. He or she was awful to someone I worked with. Um, without naming names, I wonder what the worst film star or even director behaviour you've encountered in your days as journalist is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so mostly when we have direct contact with them, they're sort of on good behaviour, because they want to, you know, I guess they're worried that we'll write mean things about them, um, <laughs> which we really don't, so they shouldn't no, really no, worry that no. much. No, we, um, we love people. But, um, so generally we don't see that side of them that maybe like assistants or, or you know, cast or crew <laughs> do. We've heard some hair-raising stories yep. along the way about people that shall very much remain nameless as my own lawyer. Um, <laughs> Can we, can we allude to what those stories are? No, the... just, just, I mean, just there are certain, uh, like there is a British director who no one I've ever met has a good word to say about ever. Oh, I know who Like if is. his name comes up, it's yeah. a him. If, if his name came, comes up, everyone just, every, every crew member, every head of department, most cast members apart from the A-list, yeah, yeah. they do not like that person. Mm-hmm. But has anyone gone on a coke binge and killed like four people and had it covered up? Yes. <laughs> Chris? But, no. But, that's, but Phil is leaving us now. And so, it's going to be timeouts problem soon. Yeah. It's all good. Yes. Because uh, you did the 100 greatest films, another vote of it in Empire recently, they've done a few before. I was just wondering if you guys had films in your own sort of personal favourite films that would never, ever turn up on those lists, ever but one that you personally think should be in those lists? Um, I think my, we usually get to vote uh, for the list, so sometimes our, um, we, we basically make enough noise to get ours. Like, if there's, a, if there's a tie break, you know, down towards the bottom, you get a lot of films that have the same number of votes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we'll sometimes go, no, well, that one has to be in, because I like yeah. it. Cyrano de Bergerac, for example, is is one of my absolute all-time favourite films. Ah, the French Um, remake. But it does tend to be on there somewhere, so I'm not the only one, am I? No. Okay, I might be. Um, No, I I don't know. I mean, Evil Dead 2 wasn't on the last list. Karn Hardy chose it as one of his films, uh, because we got filmmakers to choose our top ten lists, and Karn Hardy, bless him, chose Evil Dead 2 as his favourite film of all time. Um, But it didn't actually make the 100 list. It made the last list, 301, but not this one. Um, I don't know. I don't know favorite movies. I, I, I have a really, really soft spot for The Hidden. 
Uh, not the Michael Haneke movie, but the one where Carl McLachlan fights an alien, which is so much better than the Michael Haneke movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really oh, good film. Go and right check there. it out. Go and check it out. Oh. I know I had to look at Phil there just to make sure. Can he make it across the two desks in time to get me? Uh, I really like that film. Would I put it in any, any list? No, but it's the one that came to mind. Mm. Uh, like films that are great uh, great classics but no one else in the world apart from you realises <laughs> Escape to Victory <laughs> is that absolutely masterpiece is but, that one yeah. of your I mean we'll talk about next week in the podcast John Huston's oeuvre that would have to be yeah. close to the bottom <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when we reunited it turned it upside down we reunited the footballing cast of Escape to Victory we didn't really I mean we reunited we, four of them <laughs> we reunited five of them one of them dropped out on the other day then and I'm not making this up one of, there's, uh, one of them this started for money. family bereavement uh, uh, while we were doing the reunion and had to leave oh, and so we ended up with three members of the footballing team <laughs> from Escape to Victory but uh, Phil and I have seen Aussie Ardiles in his boxer shorts so that was something who's the have real we? winner we have have we remember he, he turned up at White Hart Lane because yeah. that's where we, we did the reunion and um, he got changed in front of us do you not remember this have you blocked I've, it I've, off I've, <laughs> I've tried to forget that particular <laughs> detail of the tapestry of the day but yeah. you're probably right was, I remember John Walk John Walk John yeah. Walk who, who was lovely came over from Ipswich for the day to White Hart Lane to do it yeah. and he told us a story about how they'd all gone to Budapest and Michael Caine and everyone had just like, shown them a great time and then a year later the film came out and he was walking through a Glaswegian shopping centre and this sort of Slightly drunk-looking Glaswegian guy starts staggering towards him, and he just looks at him and goes, "Walkie, you escaped," <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was genius. But um, that was a, that was an interesting day. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. And that guy went on to inspire Mark Strong's accent in Kingsman. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I'm going to say you right at the back of the insert, and I'm going to favour this side of the room because I'm, I'm just drawn towards this side. Right. I was wondering if you had a favourite actor who is prolific at the same role in nearly every film. Mine is Glenn Morshower, who's played pretty much every military role or agent or policeman there is. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a similar vein, I like William Fickner, who isn't yeah. always that guy, but he's usually that guy. Like, he's usually the FBI chief who can't entirely be trusted, let's be honest. But sometimes he's the bank manager who can't really be trusted, <laughs> let's be honest. You know? So he's got, I mean, I, he genuinely does have a really wide range, but he keeps getting cast in roles with maybe a, a smaller range. Yeah. yeah, I like Jeff Goldblum. Um, <laughs> he's been playing Jeff Goldblum he's for 35 years. For 30 years now. I mean, if you can be Jeff Goldblum... He, well, I really like Jeff Goldblum the person, so I like seeing him in films. Doing himself. You know. <laughs> That's a very, very literal answer, but... <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, guy from, mostly from the like 70s and 80s, he always plays the guy that you're supposed to trust, but actually turns out to be completely... J.T. Walsh? No, um... Is it Bill Devine? Bill William... William Devine. Devine. Who plays... Yeah. yeah he was he's always, like, turns up and he's like... Devine, you, you kind of know that he's super... Because he always plays the same role. So you're like... Yeah. If whoever he's helping had seen any other films, he'd know that he's going to turn out to be a bad guy because he always is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, those, there were a few from there. J.T. Walsh is another one, actually. Oh, he was amazing. Yeah, amazing. great actor. Uh, I have a really soft spot for Colin Salmon. <laughs> I don't know why... Um, but anything he's in, I will avoid. Uh, but I, but I respect his right to make it, and 
I'm sure he'll be brilliant in it. No, I really like Colin Salmon. Um, but Sander Barkley, um, who is just has a wonderful line in Sleazeballs. Uh, so he's the he's the stepfather in Terminator 2. He is also in Heat. Uh, he is the guy who uh, Al Pacino's wife hooks up with and it, to much to Al Pacino's dismay. And he's just really, really good. You probably know him if you see him. He's, you know, he's, he's just, he looks like a sleazeball and he plays nothing but sleazeballs. He's very, very cool. Sandra Barkley. Uh, okay, There's time a lady for over there, a couple so. of last questions. Yes, please. Thank you. So I heard you speaking about Catherine Bigelow getting sort of her redemption moment by working quietly on her own and being sort of welcome backed back into Hollywood. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts about actors who have disappeared or mm -hmm. dropped out of favor who you'd like to see. Welcome back. Oh, good question. Uh, who's not okay. working? It's always really hard to think of a negative, like who's not working right now, who I want to see back. I, I think my mind goes to people who are working, but I want to see their quality of projects improve. And I mean this, I mean this really, really seriously. I think John Cusack needs uh, a career yeah. intervention. Um, it's really, really sad what has happened to John Cusack. You kind of expect Nick Cage to turn up and direct a video direct. You really do, genuinely, because you know he's got bills to pay and stuff. And Bruce Willis has gone down that route as well. But John Cusack, man, I mean, what's happened? Yeah, that hurts. That guy was cool. And now he is not. And it, it's a real shame. It's, and I don't know, I honestly don't know what's happened because he doesn't ever strike me as someone who needs the work. And he's someone who strikes me that he's, I've, I've met John Cusack and I know how smart he is. And I know his choice of, of project was always, you know, he was always someone who chose his stuff very, very carefully. And now he's just doing direct video thriller after direct video thriller. And it's just sad. And I want to see the John Cusack back. Not the boombox above the head guy, but the, the really cool guy from High Fidelity. I want to see him back. Know, point blank. In a slightly similar vein, and everyone's going to disagree with me on this, Catherine Heigl is actually quite good as a sort of light comedian, and you know, in that kind of film. And that kind of film, that kind of rom-com she was doing there has vanished at the moment. Yeah. Um, but she's really good at that stuff. And some people like her and Jennifer Aniston, I think, is another one who's good at just that exact kind of low-key charm. Don't get a lot of work at the moment, and I would kind of like to see maybe that change. Not to say I wouldn't like him to do something else as well, but... Yeah. You don't see Samuel L. Jackson do much these days. <laughs> Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, Phil, John, anything? Gosh, I can't think. And Gene so recently, Hackman. Sorry. Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh. Yeah, but that's... Oh, right. Different thing. Gene Hackman. My answer would have been uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, but she's started popping up in yeah. things again back, now. Back, back. She was in Mother. Um, <laughs> So, oh, do you want to talk about mother? <laughs> <laughs> Phil, there must be mother? so many. I mean, there must be so many actresses who get to the sort of forty and stop getting yeah. parts yeah. that you could mention. Hmm. So probably quite a few of, of that category, I would say. Well, yeah, Winona Ryder actually again. Yeah. yeah. Apart from Stranger Things, what she what she had to do recently that's been great. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, we've got a minute left in the countdown clock, so we've got one last question. Uh, a, who do you want to choose? Well, there's the lady with her hand way up. Lady with the yeah. hand. Lady with the hand. I, I, um, I think lady, sorry. I, I'm a huge fan of like silly 80s comedies. So some of my happiest moments as a child was watching Hot Shots 1 and 2. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. But um, I was re-watching Airplane the other day and some of the jokes I was thinking kind of like, oh, that's not really okay. <laughs> um, so I was wondering, are there any movies that you used to absolutely love but now re-watching them you think are kind of not 
okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah. mm. I've, I've rewatched some old Bond movies recently, and ooh, they don't. <laughs> some of them, sometimes they don't stand the test of time. No, Sean even Connery. as we made, I don't think some of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there are some. There are some interesting things. Uh, uh, yeah, I think there was there was a certain comedic sensibility in the late seventies and the early eighties. Uh, that uh, certain tone deaf comedic sensibility, shall we say, to uh, certainly sexual politics and racial politics. Uh, I watched. I rewatched recently. National Lampoon's Vacation, which everyone believes is a classic comedy, it really isn't. It really isn't. Caddyshack is an awful, awful film. Oh, it's no. a terrible, yeah. terrible film. And Vacation's not too far away from it. And there's, a, there's a bit where the Griswolds go through a, a black neighborhood in Chicago, and the joke is that their car gets stolen while they're in the car because they're in a black neighborhood. And I, I'm just sitting there going, what the fuck is happening here? This is just yeah. completely tone deaf, and uh, for the film, it's really struggled. I struggled to recover with the film from that point on. Um, Sixteen Candles, on a similar note, uh, is super rapey, <laughs> like really not good. Um, yeah. Can I just say one last thing as well? Mm. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a film I re- uh, a film I revisited the other day, and it should be called Donald Trump's Day Off, because Ferris Bueller is so Trumpian, an entitled, jumped-up little shit who expects the world to love his every single utterance and just to fall in line with his beliefs, and, uh, and he gets everything handed to him on a platter, uh, and it's Cameron who is the real hero of that film, and I actually, cause I, I wanted to revisit it with my wife, and I, she'd never seen it, and I went, let's watch this classic film from the 1980s, and I sat there watching, it's funny, and it works as a decent movie, but I wanted to punch him. <laughs> I wanted to punch him until either he didn't have a face left or I didn't have a fist left. It may, be, it may be just a matter of timing. I saw The Founder, which was obviously a recent movie with Michael Keaton, um, like the night of the American election results and uh, like the night after they'd been announced overnight. And that was a super bad time to watch a film about a capitalist <laughs> who gets ahead on nothing but fumes. Um, so timing can be an issue. So maybe yeah. like in you know two, four, eight years, then we can watch Ferris Bueller again. Yeah. Well, I, genuinely, I hope he's in prison right now. I hope at first Peter <laughs> is in prison for insider trading, or perhaps he went on a coke binge and killed four people. I think this is something that is quite possible. Phil? Me? I'm not. On that note, on that bombshell, that is all the time we have for this very, very special live podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by someone. I don't know who. Genuinely, I think we should probably should have planned a guest. Oh, God. Anyway, I'll get on that. We'll also have uh, a Kingsman the Golden Circle spoiler special with Matthew Fawn spilling the beans. That's going to be up on September 29th after the U.S. release. I think, around that time anyway. Uh, thanks go out to everybody here at the London Podcast Festival for being immense and endlessly patient with us, specifically me, uh, and specifically Zoe and Sally from the, uh, from the London Podcast Festival. Thanks to everyone at King's Place, to our spot prize donors, Eureka, Arrow Films, Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, the Criterion Collection, Last Exit to Nowhere, Studio Canal. Phil, anyone else? Premier PR, E1 PR? and Organic. E1 and Organic, they were fantastic. Uh, and thanks, of course, to you guys, as ever, for your endless support. It means so much you turn up on a Saturday night. I know the uh, and, you know, paid so much to come and see us. It really does mean a lot. Uh, until we meet again, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from John. Goodbye. <laughs> it's a very sad goodbye from Phil, who's about to take a time out.
And it's a goodbye for me. I'm off to shed a tear and watch some old episodes of Pointless because I think Phil looks like Sander Armstrong. Uh, <laughs> 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 Until we meet again, thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.